What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Tuned Up on the Renegade Pop Culture Podcast Network. My name is Mike. I'll be your host, as always. Joining me is my co-captain, Cameron. Howdy, howdy, y'all. Yeah, today we have a little light, little light news day, but we got some great discussions to be had and reviews for Amphibia's Halloween special, Shut In, the DuckTales... Uh, Darkwing Duck special, Let's Get Dangerous, and a review for Netflix's newest film, Over the Moon. But first, a little bit of a news rundown. So Cameron, what do you got? Well, first off, we are, we are also going to just lightly talk about the Frozen prequel, midquel thing, the origin of Olaf or whatever it's called. Um, there won't be too much to say about that. But yeah, let's get with the uh, news topics. So Nippon TV, a super large uh, multi-platform entertainment uh, business, uh, probably the biggest in Japan, is launching a animation department. And it will be run by Kako Kuahara. And they have um, their first project in the works um, with a 12, 30-minute episode order for a show called uh, Tsukimichi Moonlit Fantasy, which is based off of the award-winning novel. Hey, that sounds pretty cool to me. Uh, the anime industry is, I think, about to change really big, especially with what's going on in the world right now, especially with streaming becoming more popular and, and whatnot. But we'll okay. have to see. Speaking of anime, Netflix has inked a pretty big overall deal with multiple studios and uh, creators. This includes um, the anima and company owned Naz, Science Saru, the people who made Devilman Crybaby, Lou Over the Wall, Ride Your Wave, and Japan Sinks 2020. Uh, Studio Mappa, the god of high school, uh, the gymnastic samurai, and Jujutsu Kaisen. And then the Korea-based animation studio, Studio Mir, who, you know, made Avatar, The Last Airbender, Voltron, and our favorite show of 2020, Kipo and Kipo the, and the One. Wonder Beasts. Yeah, so... Love that show. Yeah, so good. I'm still thinking about it after we recorded that episode. I want to watch it some more, but we got too much to work um, with. And, and on top of that, they have gotten... Uh, and made deals with multiple people, including Nanase Okawa, uh, aka one of the founders of Clamp, uh, a very popular manga and anime uh, team. And they made they made a lot of stuff like X, and it, it's like people would know who they are if you're an animation fan. And apparently, that was the only one that people cared about because all the comment section sections would have gifts of like clamps and of course the futurama character clamp and <laughs> and this also includes shin uh kibayashi yasuo o, o, um o tagaki sorry um otsuichi uh tao U, um ubukata and mari uh yamazaki uh, they're playing the long game here and even though dragon's dogma was not the biggest hit or you know, the critical darling that it really doesn't deserve to be. They, they've they made more good than bad, or they have brought over more good than bad. <laughs> like, 
you know, they brought over B stars, BNA, the great pretender, Doro Hidoro, and King and Ashura, and to a lesser extent, Baki. But still, you know, they they got a lot of great uh, shows on that service. And uh, any comments before we move on? Um, I'm just excited to see more, um, more anime from Netflix. By the way, contrary to popular belief, our show is not sponsored by Netflix. No, I maybe we'll try to get some brand deals going on with some of these streaming services since we're constantly talking about their stuff. But uh, no, we're not branded by Netflix. It's just the easier way to get content for this episode, uh, for this podcast and whatnot. So, but all this does mean though is that sooner or later we will have more of our favorite gyoza eating lizard boy for uh, uh Kaiman. Yes. So I, I, I mean, that's a good thing for me. Um, so Titmouse, the animation studio in Canada, the, and you would know them for like, they worked on like Metalocalypse, Star Trek, Lower Decks, uh, Tigtone, The Midnight Gospel, um, Star Wars, Galaxy of Adventure. Uh, they're working on the Indivisible adaptation, though knowing what happened with that one will, uh, see how far that goes the uh studio is now closed because the head founder decided to be a scumbag uh and then uh critical roles the legend of vox machina they um are now unionized they're they're the country's first um union tune shop which is good because if anything animation is a challenging job and you have to commit to it like what tony bancroft said to us in the interview uh, a few weeks ago and hopefully this means that the animators get better pay and better treatment because you don't really want to anger the union let's just say that <laughs> so uh good for them so uh ludicrous is making a kit series uh called karma's world for netflix and of course i would know him as the rapper and for one of my favorite rap songs rollout and though of course more people these days would know him for uh the fast and furious franchise yeah <laughs> man i'm old uh so uh anyway this uh series was inspired by his uh oldest da daughter and it's based on the interactive educational website of the same name so I don't know. I'll keep it on my uh, radar, but I don't know if we'll be talking about this or not, depending on the age range for it. But, yeah, you know, we are we are trying to avoid uh, shows meant for preschoolers. But at the same time, I'm just so fascinated by a guy like Ludacris coming into animation. Well, we need more. uh uh, creators that are, you know, not white and white guys. <laughs> not to say that there's anything wrong with them. It's just, you know, diversity and inclusiveness re um, results in better and more varied stories. And the 2010s have shown that. And so, you know, it, we'll, we'll keep it on the radar, but I don't know if we'll be tackling it. But, you know, we'll see. Uh, just a quick uh these two quick news stories i wanted to talk about uh the european film awards have nominated 
uh, a few pretty well-known animated films, or at least well-known to Mike and I. Klaus from last year, The uh, Calamity, the winner of the Annecy Top Tier Prize, uh, the new animated film Joseph, and our favorite Russian uh, animated film, The Nose, have been nominated for Best Animated Features. That's a pretty good lineup to me, and uh, I'm still kind of waiting for Joseph and Calamity to have a U.S. release because, you know, you. I, I mean, I, I guess they're just going through their festival runs right now, so we'll see how that goes until, like, a U.S. distributor comes and picks them up, but... I, I would like I would like them, please. <laughs> yeah, especially Calamity because I've 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 been jonesing for more animated Western content, and this is this was the one that I was most excited to see at Annecy, but we only got we only ever got the the preview. Yeah, no, I wish we could have seen more of that one and it's so annoying that they did that to us because it's like why open it up to the public if the public are are not going to be able to see the movies even our pal Ruben was not able to see them so <laughs> uh, I, I don't get it all right so we that's mostly it for the news um Oh, I, I guess we should talk about this. The le- the trailer for the new Tom and Jerry live action animation hybrid got leaked online. It's a French trailer. And I guess I'd like to see an English trailer first before we really talk about it. But um, I, I don't know. I like the 2D animation that they showed in the in the footage. Yeah, I, I, only, I only got to see like a, like a few seconds of it. But the stuff that I did see... Um, I, I like the animation. I like the slapstick between Tom and Jerry. Um, I didn't, I didn't hear any doc, any dialogue, but we'll, we'll get into it in, in detail once we actually get a U.S. trailer. Yeah. So, um, that'll probably be next week. I'm sure it's going to be coming out soon since now it's like, oh no, the trailer got leaked. We might as well talk about it, uh, release it now. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry for, I mean, that's always a problem with leaks. It's like, it forces them to move ahead with certain marketing uh, strategies and whatnot. Um, but, you know, someone made it, got to, leaked it out. You know, it's not everyone else's fault that the trailer uh, picked up a lot of steam and whatnot. Anyway, uh, so we have two discussion topics before we get into the uh, reviews. First up, we're going to talk about... Um, well, wait, uh, uh, before we get to the discussions, we do have some trailers that we need to talk about. Oh, thank you, man. Uh, you, okay, first off, you know what? I keep saying, okay, there are no more news stories to tackle. We talked about them all in every episode and we somehow miss one or two. <laughs> but uh, so I'm just not going to commit to that. I'm, not, I'm just going to say, oh, that's it for now. If we do not talk about a certain news story, we probably just forgot about it because sometimes we do these episodes every uh, two to three weeks, depending on the content and what's getting released. Um, but um, yeah, so two trailers got released this week. I think let's start with the uh, Animaniacs one, the official Animaniacs 2020 trailer, which uh, showed, you know, we'll be getting it November 20th. And 
I don't know. I still think it looks pretty funny. I thought it was a pretty good first impression. The second it started with, with Yakko saying, reboots are everything that's wrong with, uh, with modern entertainment. And then it, cut, <laughs> then it cuts to them wearing Hulu hats and, and, and apparel. And yeah. And then and, getting, the che- getting the check for $20 billion. <laughs> Here's then, the check for the Animaniacs reboots, you sellouts. <laughs> and, then, and then you see the pile of money that spells out Hulu. Like they're self-aware about this, about the whole, the fact that it's a reboot and whatnot, or a, I guess in this case, a continuation since they're coming back from the dead. <laughs> that, and, that, uh, that in in of itself is a, is a great uh, starting point for the series. And, and, and you hear the, the openings of the songs, uh, of the song in the trailer. It's like, we are the Animaniacs. You should see our new contracts. And it's you see the Grim Reapers, the one holding them. <laughs> and uh, it it was pretty funny overall. I, I actually kind of laughed at the catfish joke um, with Pinky in the brain, and uh, like it it seemed like it still has a lot of the same energy with uh, from the old '90s series. So, I mean, I, I guess I'm trying to delay the inevitable, and to we kind of have to talk about the backlash or the dumb discourse that has surrounded this trailer <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll get there in a minute but first some some of the other gags i like um i like when yet when yakko like sees the uh like the tablet yeah. <laughs> like this tablet contains all the information in the world it's and, like yeah one it like all the information in the world in one bite-sized tablet and then it eats like and it's not like a, a pill tablet it's a like an ipad <laughs> yeah and he drink he puts it in the water drinks the whole thing and then it's just like i i forgot exactly what he was like but then it's like queen bay we miss so much <laughs> i mean that's what happens when you are gone for i guess almost 20 years <laughs> yeah um i i liked the uh i mean i i guess my my favorite gag is still the jurassic park teaser that we saw but uh <laughs> uh i i guess i like the one at the end where it's like they upload the trailer and then uh you see it's like brain it's just like and now to en- to engross ourselves in the adoration of the fans and then like it gets one like and he sees it's pinky <laughs> <laughs> and I, I gotta say pink pinky and the brain kind of stole this trailer oh gosh yeah and uh i love when it's just like gee brain what are we gonna do tonight the same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over and they get like flooded with foam. And then he's like, yay, foam party. <laughs> and of course, like some of the visual jokes that they showed are going to be pretty funny. Because as much as like it, it was a show released in the 90s, if you gave them enough leeway, they would go ham and they would not pull punches. Oh yeah, um, they, they would... Uh... Like they would take the piss out of everything, like I, and, and not and not just modern references, but references to classic movies, classic animation. The Warner Brothers 60, 65th anniversary special is kind of one of my favorite episodes because they they bring back um, an old Looney Tunes character named Buddy from from obscurity, basically just to make fun of him, turn him into the villain. Oh gosh. And 
it's just a, it's such a good episode well it's like one one of my favorite episodes is when they're making fun of uh, michelangelo and it, uh they're making fun of like the 16th uh, chapel painting that you know the huge painting on the ceiling mm-hmm. and then it's like they open up it's like it's supposed to look like this and then uh dot's like oh my gosh all the naked people and then uh yakko would be like i want to be flashing that around here buddy <laughs> <laughs> and or like uh when they're making fun of the pilgrims uh there's this one mad pilgrim uh give me the bird heard yeah then yakko's like well, I'd love to, but the Fox censors won't allow it. <laughs> and like, they would make, fun, yeah, they made fun of everything. And even if some of the jokes that there are making fun of uh, current like films or trends or what are icons and whatnot, it, the, the fact of the matter is that the humor still holds up. And that's not a whole lot of that. Like you can't say that for a lot of like pop culture jokes and whatnot. So the fact of the matter is that they still made the punchlines punchy and they still punch now is a sign of great uh, comedic storytelling. Definitely. But uh, of course there's a, they showed a, like they're going to apparently have a Greek setting uh, episode with shenanigans and such. Like, because you see Yako say like, Oh, it looks like it's going to be an odyssey. And there's a Cyclops and he looks like our garbage fire uh, person in charge of the entire U.S. And of course that sent people into a, well, not people, little trash hobgoblins uh, or AKA uh, quote unquote fans got into a, a, you know, hissy fit and said, like the show got political and it's like, Oh honey, the show's been political. It's made political jokes. Where the heck were you back in the nineties? <laughs> Hell, we're like, do you even listen to the lyrics in the theme song? They like, it, it, I, I don't get these people. It's like, they're more mad that, that their political side is getting made fun of, even though they go after everyone. And like, I guess like they have a president uh, song that they go through all the presidents up till uh, Bill Clinton and they don't pull punches like with some of them, like, uh, like there's a Andrew Johnson's next. He had some slight defects <laughs> and, or it's like, uh, ni- like Nixon was caught in uh, Tom Ford fell down a lot and, <laughs> or like, it's like, I, I don't get these people. It's like when they make fun of, it's like the whole uh, Looney Tunes controversy that happened earlier this year. It's it's baffling that that's the thing that they take away. Or, you know what, they're, they're, being, they're not fans. They're being, they're either just getting mad because political humor, um, political humor, or they're just now realizing just, I, I, mean, I don't know, they're just not good fans. They they aren't, and I think the problem is some of these some of these people who are making such claims either are doing either are pulling pulling this right out of their ass, or or they like they have no actual recollection of the show they claim to be a fan of. No, um, that, yeah. And I, I have I have been going back and watching some of the old episodes just just because 
it's it this is my comfort show it's it's something i love going back to and like when you when you watch the the old series there's there's political humor everywhere yeah and it like again they go like in the past present and and whatnot with their humor they made an entire um well they like there are two episodes that pull that bring this up to mind for me they made an entire episode or i guess part of an episode to make fun of william shatner's horrible rendition of rocket man by making a william shatner-esque character sing uh children's lullabies like ba ba <laughs> black sheep <laughs> i love and that they, one yeah and uh, of course they make a bunch of star trek jokes and a reference to uh spock's uh little bilbo baggins song and then there's one that may, where they make fun of woodstock because you know kids would totally understand what woodstock is or there's the entire meta joke of pinky in the brain getting hired to do voiceovers for uh ads that the entire punchline is they're making fun of those orson well recordings Yep. <laughs> so i yeah these people just were not just don't even they're not fans they're, they are just doing it to cause trouble and are just a waste of space or they just do not remember how adult and political some of these jokes were and like that's the thing about steven spielberg's uh cartoons that he produced they got away with a lot of jokes especially like one in freakazoid where uh freak is always hanging out with his cop friend who's played by ed asner and he's having a sandwich and he freak is asks him like cop or officer why aren't you married and, he, and he's like because i like meat too much and he's like well you can be married and still like meat and he, it, there's like a pause and he's like huh you're right <laughs> like there's a like if you can't pick up the joke there then i don't know what to tell you <laughs> like I, I don't know these these people kind of these people annoy me. I wish I could ignore them, but they just they pull they, you back in. <laughs> they, they pop they pop up like weeds. Like you you think you think you've heard the end of them, but then another controversy comes up, and and then you you see more of them. Yes, but sadly, all of this is really just a waste of time. Yeah, seriously. Anyway, the the new show looks great. I'm. I'm sorry that the creator, the original creators are still not happy about it. And maybe it just does well, they can bring them on, but I don't know. Well, we'll I, I think it's, I think the show looks great, but it could also be just great marketing, but we'll see in November 20th. We'll definitely be uh, talking about it. Yes. Yes, we will. So next we will talk about Disney releasing their newest trailer for Raya or their first teaser trailer for Raya and the Last Dragon. And, you know, it's being now directed by the guy who directed Blind Spotting. And it has, you know, uh, uh, Kelly Marie Tran as the lead. And, well, <laughs> it, it, it's a teaser trailer. You got to keep that in mind. But I thought that was a great teaser trailer. It was. Yeah, just very action-packed, very different vibe-wise, like just a different tone and atmosphere to it. It had its little goofier, ele like little Disney elements, but I thought overall it was a just co a cool trailer. That's uh, of course everybody's making fun of it as like 
this is Disney's answer to uh, Avatar and uh, Korra and whatnot. And I, I just love the visual look of it all. Just the, the mix of Asian cultures and uh, someone pointed this out in one of the Facebook groups we're in where they noticed that like there are actually more body types this time around. And it, like it's just it was just a great little trailer. And of course I teased at the end the last dragon and who's going to be played by Aquafina. And I'm a little curious to see how much the tone changes once they introduce Aquafina's character or just like what's her approach to the character. Like, are we getting a Maui situation or are we getting a genie situation? I, I don't know, but I will say this. If you want to see Aquafina in a more dramatic role, I would check out her film from last year, um, The Farewell. That's where that's where she shows a little bit more range than just being the class clown. That first of all, that's one of my favorite live action movies from last year. That's that's just a great movie. Um, so um, definitely check out that movie. And because I know, like she she gets kind of typecasted as like the yeah like the class clown and. When, especially when she was like in uh, the Angry Birds movie too and whatnot. But she's a great actress. I've enjoyed her appearances so far in, in the films. And I need to see her show, but I hear it's great. So Same. As, as for my thoughts on this trailer, uh, this looks gorgeous. I've, I've been super impressed with Disney's modern era of, of animated films ever, ever since like Tangled. That that's that's when they've really when they've really upped their game. Well, uh, Glenn Keane, the director of Over the Moon, apparently like the stories that go around are that he wanted the CGI animation to move like 2D, and they're like, uh, "We can't do that right now." And he's just like, oh, "That's baloney. I'm going to make you guys do it." And apparently, they had to like create entirely new tools and programs just to make Tangled move as it does. And yeah, that, that explains why it's it's still one of the most expensive animated films in recent memory. Yeah, and of course he was supposed to direct it, but then unfortunately had a heart attack and had to bow out. But uh, still a great movie, and I think a lot of his talent uh, touches were there still. And of course, we'll be talking about Over the Moon at the very end and whatnot. But uh, any other thoughts about Raya? Um. I I too was one of those people joking that that this looked like a CG, a CGI remake of the Legend of Korra um, because because of Raya's uh, outfit in the in the beginning. But uh, oh yeah, <laughs> but but still, I love I love the way this this film looks. I love I love the uh, the music uh, in the trailer. Oh man, the, tra- the tra- everybody that's the one that's the other thing that a lot of people talked about was the music. Everybody's like, "Oh man, that the music was uh I guess straight fire is what they say. I I'm so out of touch with what's like what's new it rocks." <laughs> Lingo and whatnot. Um but uh yeah, and I I kind of got like touches of like Black Panther in a way, like just when like trying to bring the uh different communities together and whatnot and the world together. And yeah, I I think it looks great though. I will say if we are still stuck in a pandemic, 
I think it would be smart for Disney to do a uh, simul- simultaneous on-demand and theatrical release because I, I don't want them to, to straight up send it to Disney Plus, but it's just like just in case, you know, because we don't know what's going to be happening for the next few months. And yeah, that March release date is optimistic to say the least. <laughs> yeah. That that brings us to a discussion that that um, that we need to have because we know we know that Soul will be released on Disney Plus on Christmas Day, and you know, selfishly, I'm happy that we still get to see that movie in 2020. But the bigger the bigger picture is a little bit more concerning, especially when Disney even announced like a couple weeks ago that they were they're interested in taking taking streaming more seriously yeah and i and i i guess let's start with the uh i i guess i want to let's get the streaming part out of the way first because i just want to because i i, I want to talk about more of the implications as the meteor part of this discussion topic I don't think they're giving up on theaters. I think that's a bit crazy. I think people are panicking because as, uh, and I guess this might be an, an unpopular opinion. Disney is not killing the theater industry. COVID has killed the theater industry. It has pushed back everything, any chance for it, theaters and studios to make money have been pushed back to uh to next year so there's unless like you like your indie films which yeah i like my indie films but sometimes i want to go to a movie theater to watch a big movie and due to this year that stupid pandemic has basically put another nail in the coffin for theatrical releases and i don't think we're going to be seeing like they're not going to be spending like 300 million dollars for uh, for like they're not going to make a Black Widow Disney Plus movie, like you, you know what I mean? Yeah, like they're they're not they're not going to put the big blockbusters on a streaming platform because they already cost too much money, um, and the like the the mo- the model clearly isn't working. That's that's why you don't have to pay thirty bucks to see Soul. Uh, on Christmas Day, it'll just be on the service. Yeah, because they're not being entirely clear about what happened with the Mulan 2020 numbers, which is a really annoying thing about streaming numbers and whatnot, because, you know, <laughs> we want to understand. We, we want to understand how the, the logic behind, like, how ratings and viewership works for something like Netflix and whatnot. But they're just being kind of tight-lipped about it (laughs) um but now i think let's but that's just my opinion do you have any thoughts about the streaming aspect of their announcement i think that i i think personally even even though my my movie theater just opened up on friday that would be october 23rd i personally still don't feel comfortable going to a theater just yet until until we start to see more um 
more four quadrant uh, films being released and and also just as long as it's safe to go. I, I'm waiting until it's safe to go. I don't care what's out, like what's out, because if people wanted to go out, Tenant would have actually been a hit in the US. It's a hit overseas, but it's not here. And you probably couldn't have chosen a worse movie to try to reopen theaters back with. <laughs> right. And not not that like Christopher Nolan's like a nobody, but something like Tenant and the mixed reviews that I see all over Twitter and the critics circles and whatnot. You could you it should have either been like a Wonder Woman or a Black Widow. Otherwise, nobody is going to risk it going to see a confusing dense nolan film that may i mean like i haven't seen it i'm just saying like that may or may or may not have his best and worst like filmmaking elements to it and it also may have actually done more damage to the theaters by reopening up with tenet so but no, I, I do think the bummers part of this is that they're probably going to put all their smaller films onto disney plus and that's a shame. I think they might, they deserve a chance in a theater as well because there's there's really something different when you see a film like Blind Spotting or a Black Klansman in a theater with like people like reacting alongside you and whatnot. And like, I mean, we'll we'll have to see like if they mean they're just going to make more shows for it and whatnot. And sorry to burst the TV bu- fan bubbles. But TV's dying. <laughs> There's like, I mean, it's not like there aren't hit shows or anything anymore, but um, it's like, but TV is struggling. And that's because no, people are getting kind of tired of the TV format. It, well, it's, it's, it's not necessarily that. I mean, it's not just that. It's also cable prices have have skyrocketed to the point where people are now like are now seeking other options um sites like youtube and hulu are offer, are offering live tv for at most like 40 to 50 bucks which is like which is a huge difference between that's like a huge difference from the you know 275 that you have to pay for you know spectrum or comcast yeah, and of course we're probably going to end up in a period where they'll be just selling us uh, streaming bundles. <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I guess I'd rather pay for that than uh, pay for cable and have a bunch of channels I'm not watching. <laughs> exactly. At least, at least, like with all these streaming services, you more or less get to control the stuff you're watching. Yeah, and um. But yeah, that's really it I have uh, for the streaming part. But now let's go to the unfortunate implications with Soul Game put on Disney+. Plus. It is Pixar's first uh, Black co-directed um, animated film with a mostly predominantly Black cast. And unfortunately, get it getting directly sent to Disney+, Plus instead of getting a uh, theatrical release... Uh, or at least one overseas is like there are some unfortunate maybe slightly racist implications of this like oh we put the one film 
uh, with a predominantly black cast and co-director on it. And I understand and, uh, and agree with that stuff. But I mean, no, not but. Um, though I, I'm still pretty happy we're getting it. I think we kind of need it because we don't know what else is going to get pushed back. Like, like Connected is still like, we don't know when, what's going to happen with that film. Yeah, Connected is, is still in limbo. The Crudes, uh, the, like the Crude sequel, um, that, one, that one's going to theaters for some reason. Op- optimistically assuming that, that that Corona will be finished by, by election, which is not likely at all. No, I mean, unless, unless we had like superpowers or whatnot, or the power of uh, the Lord Almighty and whatnot, we're, this thing's not going to get cr- crushed until like a few months. But we'll, but even then, we have to see what happens. Exactly. So I understand pe- people pe- people being bummed. Though I also saw a few arguments saying why didn't they just put Black Widow on there? And it's like one, I think they want they want the overseas market for that one let's just be honest there though i think that will bring up an, an overall like other bad faith uh issue of like let's take the female directed female led and mostly female cast superhero movie and put it on disney plus because who cares about black widow <laughs> so i mean it, it's a different it's a different situation it's a different issue i'm not saying they're the same there's definitely a little more levity with talking about soul going to Disney plus. Um, like, so I have, I have some pros and I have some cons. The pro is, I think, I think the best case scenario, um, Disney wants to boost the subscribers for Disney plus. So that's, that's the whole reason they're making such a big deal out of, um, having soul come out on, on Christmas day. Um, and you don't have to pay the $30. So it'll entice more families to either, you know, it, it, give, it gives them something to watch Christmas morning or it entices new, new families uh, to become new subscribers. Because, you know, I mentioned before how Disney wants to add more content to Disney Plus. The downside is, yeah, it's it's not a good look when when Pixar's first um, first film co-directed and co-written by a black filmmaker is getting pushed off to a streaming service. Um, and it's the same it is kind of the same like bad look of having Mulan, um, you know, one of, yeah. one, of, one of Disney's rare female-directed blockbusters getting pushed to a streaming service. Yeah, and I know, I mean, like, we know now about the serious issues that plague Mulan and such. And, like, but, but that was, like, before we knew. Because we there was already a little, below, like, PR baloney with Mulan before I hit Disney plus, but it's like, yeah, of course we know in hindsight, there's a lot of issues where with the product, the production of Mulan, excuse me, sorry. Um, so, 
Yeah, um, but just, uh, just a heads up, the co-director b- besides Pete Doctors, uh, his name is Kemp Powers. Uh, he helped direct uh, like uh, a, a little bit of Star Trek Discovery, and he adapted his note his play uh, One Night in Miami, which is the big critical darling that's going around right now. Um, where, you know, it's being directed by the film adaptations being directed by Regina King. And I, first of all, it's just like, I just want to make sure because I keep forgetting that his name and I feel bad about that. And it seems like everyone it are keeps talking about it and they keep calling it Pete doctor's film. Cause I mean, granted Pete doctor is the bigger name. Don't, but, don't worry. Af- after this year, people will know the name Kemp powers. I hope so because I real from what I hear, one night in Miami is just great. Though, uh, by the by the way, that's supposed to come out the same day as Soul. So, <laughs> good for him. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that that makes me excited. Yeah, uh, do you have any other cons for uh, Soul? Um, I'm I've pretty much said every said everything I have to say. I'm I'm excited that we get to see it this year. Um. I will 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 we're going to talk about Over the Moon in in a little bit, but um, just just a little spoiler. The ball is in Soul's court court right now in terms of um, what is what will win best animated film of 2020. Yeah, it has to somehow be better than Over the Moon, Ride Your Wave and uh wolf walkers uh so that that'll be a little tease for then but uh yeah that's i really don't have anything else to say about the soul situation i'm glad we're going to see it i'm sorry about the implications that may come with it i hope those implications aren't proven true but we'll just have to see um and yeah speaking of disney plus um we should talk about the olaf short that came out today yes or that uh, came out over the weekend yeah once upon a snowman huh well what else, what is there really to talk about this the runtime for this thing is a little misleading because they keep uh it says it's like 12 minutes but it's more like seven minutes <laughs> um yeah it's 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 the length of a of a um a pretty standard animated short yeah, and it's not all that substantial. So uh, here's what the description says. The previously untold origins of Olaf, the summer-loving snowman who melts, who melted hearts in the Academy Award-winning 2013 Disney animated feature Frozen, and it's acclaimed uh, 2019 sequel. I have issues with it saying acclaimed, but uh, that's just me. Um, are revealed in the all-new Walt Disney Animated Studios animated short, Once Upon a Snowman. The film follows Olaf's first steps as he comes to life and searches for his identity in the mountains outside Arendelle. And it's basically the origin of his nose and his love for summer. (laughs) And the fact that he likes warm hugs. Oh, and warm hugs. And... I mean, it, it was cute. I don't really... I mean, like, I'm not as sick and tired of Frozen as much as everyone else is. Uh, but I understand it's, like, a, yet another Olaf short. And 
I know the Olaf's Frozen Adventure was not widely re- well received because it was put in front of Coco and it was 21 minutes long. I, honestly, those are the only reasons it's not well received, other than the fact that um, Kirsten and Robert Lopez didn't come back to write the music. They were written by a couple nobodies. Uh, well, that makes sense. Um, and it, I mean, I still like that short, but it is like, man, like when the story is that like people thought they came in to see the wrong movie <laughs> when they went to see Coco, that's a big problem. Um, and this one is very cute. I mean, this new one, the Once Upon a Snowman, it's cute, but like we we really just talked about it by saying like his origins for of loving summer, warm hugs, and uh, his carrot nose. Because there's not really much else. There's some pretty visuals, like when like it does that aerial shot of him walking around in the snow. And I know some people are getting kind of tired of him. Maybe it's oversaturation, but I still think Josh Gad and his combination with Olaf has made for probably one of the best Disney side characters. I I would agree with that. I I've always been a fan of Josh Gad. Um ever ever since the film uh, 21 which is not which is not a good movie but um but he he's good um like in the small role that he has he's in uh one of the uh ice age sequels uh i think the fourth one it's whatever the peter dinklage monkey pirate villain is and he did not get to do a whole lot so Say what you will about his Olaf character, at least he has a character. <laughs> Though I mean, I did think his interaction with the uh, Scandinavian guy, uh, Steam uh, Sauna guy, was very funny and cute. Where he's like, "Did you know that you're if you moved around some of the letters in your name, it's uh, it's uh, spells naked Scandinavian." <laughs> I, I think that's the funniest joke in all in. I don't. I don't want to say all of Frozen, but it's up. It's up there. Yeah. No. And that's pretty much the one re- thing thing that makes this short worth it. And it, I mean, it has a cute ending, but it, it's definitely like filler. And I think some of those uh, Olaf shorts that were made in quarantine were funnier or a little more interesting overall. But I don't know. It's it's harmless. You're, I'm probably not going to watch it again unless my niece wants to watch it, but that's just me. I, I might throw throw it on once once in a while, just just if I if I want to watch like the the whole Frozen saga. But yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's harmless. Yeah. So uh, watch it if you want. You're not missing much, but you know it's still Disney's CGI animation. It still looks great. Um, but yeah, but let's move on. Let's talk to, about the actual meaty stuff that we need to uh, to discuss. I think let's start with uh, Amphibia. Yes. First, first of all, um, Cameron, you mm-hmm. you just binged these two seasons, so I'm gonna let you go first. What are your thoughts on Amphibia? Well, I think in terms of cartoons from 2019. I think it's de- from or from 2019. I think it's one of the 
best cartoons from last year. I thought it it's a very charming, very cute, whimsical, and fairly unique looking, uh, like not in terms of character designs, but just unique world look and whatnot. And I do think it takes a little too long to get going. I think it got its hooks into me at the uh, halfway point of season one. And that's mostly because I think the two sections episodes kind of hurt it because it's mostly a show with very like uh story like single story events with maybe a tease here and there of connecting the overall narrative but um i really love uh the main character uh the characters i thought they all they had a pretty good chemistry overall though i have to say my favorite character is still bill farmer as um hop pop and um and then i think the second season's great because I just think the second season goes into a little more deeper story and character dynamics. And though I will say the uh, opening sequence for and the closing sequence are great. I love the music for those. And I love the uh, side cat, the side characters and the voice cast that they have. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think like I, I want to go into it more when we talk about after the second season wraps up, but uh, overall, I think it's a pretty great show. Yeah. I'm, I'm so, I'm so glad to be caught up with Amphibia now because this, this is one of those shows that um, like th- this, this was the reason why I wanted to catch up on all of Disney's modern animated series because Mm-hmm. One, I wanted to watch Gravity Falls so I, so I could enjoy the, um, the, <laughs> the wax museum. Yeah, the wax museum episode. Um, but yeah, the show, the show is just, it's just so, f- so much fun. Um, it, it feels kind of like a, a throwback to, to like classic, um, cartoons from from our childhood. With you, with like the two, like the two eleven-minute short uh, format, but then it also has elements of modern animation. What with the, like with the um, connected stories, the like, like the mystery, the underlying mm-hmm. mystery of the calamity box, and also, and also the mystery surrounding Anne and her t- and her two friends. Yeah, no, um, so, uh, yeah, no, uh, I guess we should say, like, if you haven't seen the show yet, there's a crossover episode with, uh, they go to a town in season two and into this wax museum, and it's owned by a frog version of Grunkle Stan from Gravity Falls. They, and they even got that approved by Alex Hirsch, um, who also plays this frog version, and of course, you get to see a, a frog version of, Zo- of Zeus or Zeus. <laughs> and of course, that's probably the best sequence where it's like, do you think we live in a, like all, all unlimited universes? Like we live all at the exact same time. And like, I just love that little sequence. And, I, and even though it's like, it's pretty obvious, the crossover thing. And even though, you know, this is not the first time Disney shows have crossed over, by the way. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a pretty common thing. But I do think it fits well. Um, 
I mean, if you want to go way back, the uh, Disney Aladdin cartoon crossed over with the Hercules cartoon. And that one's pretty great if you want to see uh, Hades and Javar talk about their uh, their individual like pr- protagonists that they keep getting halted by. There's a great sequence where Hercules and Aladdin break into hell. And uh, uh, Hades is freaking out and he grabs Javar. It's like, okay, don't worry about this. Heroes come down here all the time. <laughs> uh it, it's actually pretty great even though you know james woods is a garbage person but you know hades um but yeah i guess let's talk about the halloween special yeah so the halloween special is called shut in and basically the setup is that every year the people in in their village uh wartwood they stay inside during the blue moon so they won't turn into beasts. Um, and this episode plays out like a, like um, those anthology episodes of Gravity Falls. And this one has three different shorts, which are basically the scary stories told by Anne, Hot Pop, and Sprig. The first one is Phone Mo, <laughs> where, where Anne tells the story of Anna, and human versions of Sprig, Polly, Maddie, and Toady. <laughs> yeah, keep going. Um, and ba- basically, it's uh, it's it's kind of like a parody of The Ring, where they watch they watch this like viral video of like this cute cat like creature, mm-hmm. but then they get taken, uh, they get sucked into the like the, the video, and then it's up to Anna to save the day. Uh, that, that was actually kind of legit creepy, especially when it got to the point where the cat creature comes out of the phone. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I like, it's not the scariest story of the bunch, but I think that visual alone is kind of unsettling, especially for kids. And I do love like the little bit where they, where, where uh, Anne note, or, you know, quote unquote, Anne, notices uh everyone that she knows are inside the video and such and then you see this old guy and he's like i've been in here for 35 years <laughs> and uh no i i think i think that one's pretty cute it's at least it's better than countdown <laughs> if if you know that horror movie then you know, oh yeah the, ki- the killer app <laughs> um from i yeah i think last year also yep. um but uh yeah, no, I, I thought that was a cute little story, and I and I and between uh, by the way between all of these uh, the three stories, uh, what's the little tadpole's name? Uh, Polly. Yeah. Um, uh, tries to tell her her own scary stories, and they're just like, we were there. <laughs> yeah, like the 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 running joke is that each of her stories is literally named after an epi- like previous episodes from from the series it's pretty funny i i do like i polly probably gets the uh the best lines of the of the show i think she kind of steals the scenes at times it's like uh she absolutely does i love the uh scene where they have they all have their first sleepover at newtopia and they're like slumber party slumber party and then it goes to her in slow motion ripping a pillow in half 
and it's like slumber party. <laughs> She's a violent little tadpole, by the way. <laughs> um. So yeah, then um, Hop Pop is next, if I remember correctly. Yep his his story is called Dead End. And uh, basically, it what this reminded me of was the last story in the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, because it's basically Hop Pop telling a story of a carriage driver who has apparently amazing hair, but you know, it's hop pop. So, um, and he gets a certain, uh, I guess customer who sits in the back and says like, Hey, I need you to take me to these spots. And each time they go to a different spot, the person that uh, lives there just happens to, you know, pass away or vanish. It's basically like he encounters a version of death. (laughs) Um, and of course, then at the very end, Hop Pop survives, but at a deadly cost. He loses his luscious hair. Dun dun dun. <laughs> oh, I thought that one was pretty cute, but like I said, it kind of reminded me of the Ballad of Buster Scruggs story at the very end of that film. I I love George McKay or um, George, yeah George Takei in that role. Um, he's he's so creepy. And his design is perfect. He's like this slender, uh, well-dressed gentleman-like person until you find out he's he's going to ki- he's going to kill these innocent people. <laughs> well, innocent. Yeah, quote unquote. Uh, what was that? Him? Uh, I, yep. Man, that's I didn't notice him. I, I that's pretty cool. I. I like that. Um, but uh, and then as we go to our final story from uh, oh god dang it! I I just watched this show. I I need I should know their names. Uh, Spriggs. Yep, Spray Sprig and Ivy. Um, in their in their short titled Skin Deep. And uh, do you want to talk about this one? Yeah. So. Um, Sprig and Ivy are playing bug ball um, until they lose until they lose their ball. Um, they venture out into the forest and encounter the seamstress, who turns out to be a, gla- a glass frog, um, a very insecure glass frog, who who creates a skin. Um, because she's insecure and and the well to me this was the creepiest looking uh, character of this short because oh oh definitely it it actually reminded me i don't know if you've ever seen footage of the resident evil one remake um that was made like for the gamecube and whatnot uh they introduce a a uh, new antagonistic force this being who uh wears like a basically a mask that's a stitch that's made of stitched up skins of her parents <laughs> and that's what it kind of, this one kind of reminded me of because she uh the glass frog wears a skin a suit made of different frog skins and uh it's pretty creepy looking with all the faces sticking out of it on it and such and though i think this one might have my least favorite of the uh endings to their stories but that's just me because it's just like they're like oh man 
she's just insecure because she's see-through and whatnot and all that jazz all right let's beat her up and get out of here <laughs> yeah the, the the ending's a little like a little sloppy but um the like the, the character design is still is still creepy yeah, I actually, I, that's one of the things I like about this show. They actually do different variations of designs for different frogs and toads and uh, newt characters and whatnot. They, they all just don't look like the same thing uh, or the same design and such, which is, you know, not all frogs look the same. <laughs> yeah, there, there are many different uh, types of frogs out there. Yeah, yeah. But though I, I think what makes up for some of the clunkier aspects of this special is the uh, ending where they, they find out that Polly's missing and it's like, no, she couldn't have gone out to the, to the, to the full moon. Like she would never do that after what we said. Oh, look a note. I went on, went out to the full moon uh, to get my horror story. And they're like, Oh no. (laughs) And, uh, and then at the very end, she ends up being like a werewolf tadpole thing. (laughs) No, it, it's a very cute special. I I think it could have been a little creepier just because we live in a post-Gravity Falls and Infinity Train world, but I'm not going to hold the show against that. It, yeah, for, it, for, it, for, what it, for what it was, I think I think this was the like just the right tone for, for this series. But if, if, if it was set in the world of like Gravity Falls or the Owl House the the creep factor would have gone up like at least one level yeah though i will say i do love the whole uh shut-in holiday where instead of going trick-or-treating they get uh building supplies to like uh close off their doors and windows and even though it's even though and throughout the whole no yeah and throughout the whole episode it's like this sounds like halloween and they're like no it's not it's not a holiday (laughs) and then it's like well, you guys have jack-o'-lanterns like Halloween. No, those are spirit war- war- uh, warding off pumpkins. And it's like, it's totally a holiday. I heard that. <laughs> no, I like I said, the show is pretty great in general and overall. And the special, the Halloween special is cute. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad you, uh, you enjoyed that. I'm, I can't, I can't wait to see more from from the second season but so far i'm i'm loving this show i'm loving the the new characters we were introduced to marcy of course is the best uh which one is marcy uh marcy is one of um Anne's Anne's oh. friends oh yeah 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 the uh the one who's really into video games and such and uh yeah no i i like her a lot she adds like a new kind of dynamic and even though it's pretty obvious that the king is not all that good of a person, I do love hearing Keith David voice him. But yeah, no, but I also like that we got to go back to, uh, uh, what what's the town that they lived in for the first season? Wartwood. Yeah, Wartwood. Because I was like, as much as a, like, I think the first season drags a little, I think I, lo- I was, you know, getting a little homesick if that makes sense, because it's like you spend a whole season inside that one town, you're going to miss it after a while. <laughs> and it not that like the other places or other characters they met weren't great or anything. I do love the 
uh, traveling theater group who turn who are actually thieves. <laughs> and uh, but you know when you have a town who's with the mayor who's voiced by Stephen Root, like you kind of want to make sure you go back there. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's all I have to say about the Amphibia special. Uh, shall we move on then to the terror that flaps in the night? <laughs> yes, but um, we will talk about Amphibia more in length after the second season wraps up. So we will be back to Amphibia. But yes, let's move on to DuckTales, a.k.a. the backdoor pilot for a Darkwing Duck show. <laughs> uh, how about you describe the episode in general first? So in... In Let's Get Dangerous, we begin with Uncle Scrooge and the family heading off to Duckburg to visit one of uh, McDuck Enterprise's uh, scientists, Taurus Bulba, as he has cooked up for the family. Me meanwhile, Launchpad is excited to reunite with Drake Mallard, AKA Darkwing Duck. And from there, things get nutty. Yeah, basically the machine that uh, what's the villain's name? Uh, um, Bulwark, Taurus Bulb. Bulba. Yeah, Taurus Bulba. It's a like interdimensional machine. Basically, the the thing that the Kingpin had in Into the Spider Verse. And um, basically, it's like uh, one of the things they have to deal with is the fact that they run into uh, that Drake Mallard, Darkwing Duck and Launchpad run into a, uh, a young girl who says that her uncle was taken down by uh, the, by the, by Bulba and because of the machine. So, and then of course, after they find out what exactly happens, the machine unleashes four villains uh, from the Darkwing Duck universe, which is, you know, Quackerjack, uh, Megavolt, and uh, what are the other two names? I forgot which um, ones. Liquidator. Yeah, Liquidator and... Uh, uh, Bushroot. And Bushroot, which are like, if you've seen the original Darkwing Duck series, they're iconic villains. And we've already seen like some of them, like uh, the like that rooster character with the metal beak, and yep. um, uh, steel beak. Yeah, steel beak, who's you know played by Jason Manzukis. And we and, and we know uh, and we know that Fowl has been the main antagonist of the season. Yeah, and uh, now it it was a very fun episode, like hour long special, because that, well, on one hand, I'm very curious to see how they connect the two if this does end up getting an a like with a darkwing duck series but uh now i'm kind of interested to see like i guess this means i like launch pad is not going to be in future episodes a whole lot i'm not entirely sure uh well i don't know about that i i don't think we've seen the last of launch pad I, I mean I, yeah i'm not saying that he's going to be gone it's just like how are they going to juggle him being in both shows if, you know, there happens to be both two shows? Well, I'm, I'm, sh I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure they'll, ha they'll have to shit. They'll have to share the character. Just, just like they, 
just like how you don't often see Donald on this, like in the series, because Tony Anselmo works on other projects um, as the character. Yeah. Well, so, there's that three Caballeros TV series on Disney Plus, so that's one thing. Yeah. Uh, but um, I thought it was a pretty fun, action-packed show, and uh, I mean at least special. And even though it has a lot of those uh, like Spider Verse uh elements to it, Spider Verse was you know not the first thing to do the multi-dimensional superhero thing, so. <laughs> Uh, but I like, I mean, like, what was your favorite part of this special? Uh, let's see the stuff, the stuff that I loved. I love, I loved the first interaction between, um, Boba and Scrooge, um, Huey and Louie where, where they, where they make, they, they, they make the haggis appear. <laughs> and then he was asking a bunch a bunch of the question like a bunch of questions of how the like the ramrod works and louis like leave it to huey to literally ask how the sausage is made <laughs> i i did love when uh the uh huey at, or which one was the one with the green shirt uh that's louis uh louis takes a bite of the haggis and he's like oh gosh it tastes like feed and bitter resentment <laughs> Which, you know, if you know what haggis is made of, might be true. Um, But uh, I liked seeing Gosalind uh, and her interpretation in this show. And I thought her dynamic chemistry with Launchpad and Drake Mallard was pretty good. And I fell for her story. I mean, like, even though it's not a very, like, unique backstory about what happened to her uncle, but... um, but I thought uh, Stephanie Beatrice did a great job as her. Oh, for sure. And I do love the playfulness that uh, Bulba brings to the uh, cat to the villain lineup because he's kind of like the overzealous like salesman, and he doesn't really want to go into like what's exactly wrong because it might cost him uh, the work and whatnot. But uh. No, I, I just think like, and of course, seeing the uh, the official Darkwing Duck villain ca- uh, roster was great, and they did a fun thing where uh, Cra- uh, Quacker Jack, the uh, Joker villain, I get or to- not not Joker, he's more like the Toy Man. He, he's, uh, he's he's kind of, he's kind of a mix of both. Um, they brought back Michael Bell, who was the original voice actor for him from the '90s series back, and. Unfortunately, they didn't get Dan Castellaneta back as Megavolt. Uh, he's voiced in this new iteration by Keith Ferguson. No, though not, I'm not saying that's a downgrade or anything. It's just, you know, it's kind. Of, I like it when they bring back uh, previous actors for the roles and whatnot. Um, and I, I guess it, it it really made me want to rewatch Darkwing Duck because I do not have the Disney afternoon nostalgia that a lot of people do. I'm sure you have it more than me. Yeah, I ha- I have a lot of nostalgia for the Disney afternoon, and Darkwing Duck in particular was one of my favorite shows. So, yeah, see seeing seeing these villains come coming back, and even though they're not all voiced by the original actors, it's still it's still so much fun to see, like to see them interacting with the new versions 
of Darkwing, of Launchpad, of Goslin. And yeah, I agree with you. Stephanie Beatrice did a fantastic job voicing um, the new Goslin. Yeah, um, but like, I, I guess I was kind of interesting to see where they were going to take the story because they still, uh, like Drake Mallard is still not fully, like he, he has yet to fully bloom into uh, the role of Darkwing Duck. And it was kind of interesting to see just like uh, see him get kind of thrown into the deep, into the deep end, <laughs> really, like pretty much because uh, so far they haven't really shown if uh, Nega Duck is coming back. The the arch rival of the original Darkwing Duck show, who is a uh, voiced by uh, Jim Cummings, though who knows if we're, he's actually going to be coming back as uh, the evil. Uh, Darkwing Duck but I thought like in general this the special was pretty good like even if it is like a backdoor pilot I did love the punchline at the end with uh, Launchpad being like I'll I'll work at Duckburg at the day come over to here to this city at night and I'll sleep in between <laughs> and it's like that's such a Launchpad thing to say <laughs> but uh, especially especially like like when he says and I'll and I'll sleep on the drive over. Yeah. <laughs> um. I don't know how he's still alive <laughs> after some of the stuff he does. Um. But I mean, uh, do you have like any downsides or like criticisms or things that you wish they expanded upon? Um. Honestly, the only the only really the only criticism I have, um, is not even not really even for the episode itself, just. Um, I don't. I don't know. I, I honestly think this episode is pretty perfect for, for, um, for not just advancing the story of of season three, but to set, but to set up the like the new status quo for Darkwing Duck. Should that series ever become a reality? Um, yeah, yeah. And, and giving. Give it, giving Launchpad more to do besides just be the bump, like the bumbling, uh, the bumbling pilot. Yeah, yeah. No, I I've enjoyed the the second half of this uh, third season so far, though. And I made this post on like my own personal Facebook group page and uh, on Twitter. I think they upped the animation budget for this, and you can kind of tell. Not to say like the animation wasn't good until now. But the characters, like as I was rewatching the like the Halloween special, and uh, when we see uh, Penny again, the the moon the moon person who's uh, uh, who I thought is who is I think is just a delightful character, especially with the episode she's in. Um, characters had a bit more bounce to them, like they were a little more expressive. They put a little more like frames of movement in between uh actions and whatnot like did you notice that a, a little bit uh now that you mention it but yeah um like the, like the people like the people who are um uh, who are animate animating and, di and directing this this batch of episodes have have really done a good job yeah no um i've I, like i said last time we talked about this show i've enjoyed this series and i 
can't really say there's been an episode where I was like, oh, that's the the worst one. Like again, I just I like I I have ones that I like more, but there are but I haven't found a bad one per se. Yeah, the I don't think there's ever been a bad episode of the series. It's like it's like you said, some I like I like more than others. Some I might I might like a little bit less, but I overall the lowest episode is like it would be like a three out of five. Yeah, no, it like not a bad episode among them so far. But um, yeah, overall, pretty good special. I can't wait to see what they do. And of course, like we have yet to see the tailspin crew yet. So that's oh, I, that's right. Yeah, because they they uh, they did the whole meta joke with having Goofy from the Goof Troop iteration on board, and they've in- introduced subtly the Rescue Rangers, which we know they're apparently they're making a live action version for Disney Plus but, you know, quote-unquote live action, you know, photorealistic animation and whatnot. Um, but I hope they don't. Uh, um, but, yeah, we have yet to see the Tailspin crew. So, because now it's kind of come full circle. And I don't think there's that many le- uh, Disney afternoon shows left because they've already introduced the Gummy Bears, and I don't think they're going to introduce any of the... Uh, like uh, Snookums and Meat and the uh, the Mighty Ducks animated show. Though I could be wrong. Um, yeah, I, I don't, um, unless unless they go to like another, like another planet, I don't think we're going to get Mighty Ducks. But speaking of the Disney afternoon, I, for, I forgot one more thing um, to mention. Well, actually two, two things. Mm-hmm. One, um, there there's a really uh there's a really obscure reference to a char- a character from the Disney Afternoon comics called um Salego. Mhm. He he's the one who kind of came up with he's he's like the he's the one who came up with the like the idea for the Ramrod and how the multiverse is just a bunch of fictional universes um like inter- oh, like intertwined yeah, yeah the lizard scientist yep so yeah, yeah. so lego was the villain of a of a comic crossover um from the old disney afternoon comics called um uh legend of the chaos god well <laughs> that's a gnarly title yeah this this was um like what? One of those old um, crossover comics from the '90s, and it's it's such an obscure reference, but I love it. I also love how when when Scrooge and and the nephews get a uh, get sucked into the alternate dimension, they they make a they make a reference to um like an an old uh, an old Ducktales joke where. The sea, a sea monster ate my ice cream. <laughs> uh, I, I, I didn't catch that one, so that's that's very neat. Um, any other things you want to talk about with the uh, Ducktales special? Uh, 
there there is a a a quick cameo of bonkers he's he's like the police he's the police that's uh that was thwarted by the villains (laughs) yeah i forgot about bonkers i wonder if they're gonna go back to him at any point because this show likes to likes the deep cuts of it it does of like disney's lesser known characters and mostly tv stuff so i i don't think we're gonna see bonkers again i think i think they just they just threw him in for that gag yeah i could i could totally see that (laughs) um so without further ado i would love to say we should go move on to uh over the moon we forgot to talk about one topic uh would you like to talk about it now or would you like to save it for next week? Uh, you know what? Let's, let's, let's get that out of the way now because, um, over on Twitter, there's, there's been a little bit of an uproar over, um, over Cartoon Network's rejection of a pretty great pilot called Trick Moon that was created by, um, and, and, uh, and yeah, Christina uh, or Janina Hod- Hodgson, um, yeah, who go- who goes by um, Cartoon Fun Time on Twitter, and man, if if you if you saw this, if you saw this pilot, then you would be you'd be a, about as upset as everyone yep. else in the animation community. Yeah, so her Twitter post has this message earlier this week and this was on october 16th sorry that we're finally just getting to this uh earlier this week i got the call from cn telling me that they are not going to be continuing forward with development on trick moon this is not a result of a lack of enthusiasm on your part or the fault of any other projects at cn sadly my project is just one of the many casualties of corporate restructuring I love Trick Moon, its characters, the cast and crew, and everyone who gave it such a warm welcome. I couldn't be more proud and grateful for this whole experience. It was really a dream come true. So let's get this out of the way first. Stop blaming Cartoon Network for this situation. She made it pretty clear that it's not Cartoon Network's fault. It's the same thing with Adult Swim's and the Venture Brothers situation, which are supposedly going to do a final special, but that's just kind of rumor talk or just in in discussions of what's going on. Because as much as like Cartoon Network has made weird uh, problem, like weird decisions and whatnot, you know, the whole CN real thing, the flooding of Teen Titans Go and the cancellation of shows like Megas XLR and Symbionic Titan, these decisions more more often than not come from come from up top yes and cartoon network is owned by a giant corporation called at&t and if you know anything about them right now they are bleeding money they are billions in debt and they are trying to do everything that they can to lessen that debt and so far they're not doing a good job or they're not making enough to make that happen. And this is the thing. A lot of people like to blame Cartoon Network for this situation, and it's not. 
because every person like for venture brothers for trick moon have said it's a corporate restructuring and i don't think cartoon network would be this like malicious or at least not now like not now current cartoon network because they still have other shows like craig of the creek and uh victor and valentino and i know a lot of people got soured by it by the the announcement of the we uh bear bear spinoff the we baby bears yep and it's kind of like the whole spongebob situation on nickelodeon where it's like if a show doesn't do well like it it has to be as good as spongebob or else it's not going to do we're not going to support it even though that's entirely unfair and um and so far it seems like uh geneva owns trick moon so what it sounds like she's going to be able to shop it around it's not stuck at cartoon network and like really a lot of the situations that are going on right now should be blamed by at&t they're the ones trying to reshuffle and reorganize everything and unfortunately stuff like this is going to happen it's it's not great but go after at&t do not harass cartoon network about it i i agree with that 100 percent. i also think this could be another um i think this could be another consequence of of COVID-19, you know, because, because movie theaters are, are currently shut down or we're, are not fully open yet. Um, that, that mean, that means that's like one less, one less, um, profit, um, profit stream for AT&T. Um, so of course, of course, they're going to have to restructure everything, just just like what Disney is doing, just like what all the major corporations are going through at the moment. Yeah, no, it's just like, I feel bad. I hope Trick Moon finds a new home, either like on Disney or Netflix or HBO Max, which would be kind of ironic. Uh, but... Um, but yeah, I feel bad. I hope things go well, like go well for Geneva and her projects. Um, and uh, Stephen P. Neary, the guy who created the Fungies, twi- uh, is like shouted her out saying like, she's super talented. She's great. Please give her support. But it's also just like, people do not harass these people. Do not harass the people who work at Cartoon Network. I don't know. I know it sounds like I'm a broken record, but you just don't be jerks about this. Just just be nice. It's chaos out there. Be kind. Yeah, it's it's one it's one thing to be like to be upset that this show didn't get get picked up. Believe me, I'm I'm just as upset at at what we could have had. Agreed. Um but it's a, it's another thing to attack the wrong people. Yeah, but um, that's really all we can say about it. I hope things work out well. I these corporate restructurings, man, they just ah, it's just it's baffling that AT and T spent like so much money to buy Warner Brothers and whatnot. It, 
and such. It's it's nuts. Yeah, they 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 bought they bought um, Warner Media while they were still in debt. I just don't get it. It's like <laughs> to to stop losing money, you got to keep making money. It's like it, it man. <laughs> I I could rant about AT and T and such just that one decision is just so insane i i get it it's, it sounds good as a business perspective but yeesh um i i feel i feel like they took the they, they took the saying you have to make you have to spend money to make money i think they took they took that too literally <laughs> yeah they absolutely did and uh, <laughs> Scrooge McDuck would be disappointed. <laughs> but speaking of Disney and Netflix and streaming and whatnot, let's move on to our final topic of Glenn Keane's new directorial debut for an animated feature, Over the Moon. Mike, you... Uh, well, first off, to, uh, disclosure, I... Uh, signed up for the Netflix media website and I was able to see this movie uh, a few weeks before everyone else could and uh, so I've been able to see it beforehand I know Mike you saw it uh, today so I'll start with you what did you think of Over the Moon overall before we dive into the movie itself Um, right now Over the Moon is is my number one film of the year it's um I need I need to rewatch Wolfwalkers to confirm which one I like more, but um, no pun intended. I am over the moon for over the moon. <laughs> so what? Okay, so the story is um, that this is this is based on the China, like the Chinese uh, goddess um, Shang'e. Uh, the moon, like the moon goddess, who, you know, who a girl, a girl named Fei Fei, still, still believes in, even at, even after the death, the death of her mother, who, who told stories of Shang'e when she was growing up, and now, you know, up, upset with with her new status quo, you know, with her dad, getting about to about to be remarried um and and getting a new a new younger brother in the process she decides well i need i need to believe that shang is real so she creates a rocket ship um travels to the moon and and boy this movie is a trip yeah so she ends up on the moon and she finds out that uh shang yi is actually real and and uh, Shang Yi uh, uh, requests a gift, and Fei Fei doesn't really exactly know what that gift is. The audience isn't doesn't know either, and she's she is then sent off on an adventure across the moon to find this gift and to bring back a photo of Shang uh, Yi, um, and uh, she, along the way, like her brother. Uh, tries to help her suppose like I guess stepbrother yeah um tries to get the photo back from Zhang Yi and then uh Fei Fei encounters a pangolin pangolin 
which I just realized that's what he was, um, named Gobi, voiced by Ken Jeong. And yeah, this this was a great movie. I not that I don't understand why some people aren't well over the moon with over the moon um but it's one of my favorites it's uh third place for me and it's only game being out by wolf walkers and ride your wave which uh mike you need to see ride your wave <laughs> uh, I, I i will when once what once we do a catch-up episode for um for the rest of 2020 i'm definitely going to watch ride your wave but yeah over the moon has pretty much everything that i love about a good animated feature um so yeah I, let's start let's start with uh, positives like what what do you love about this movie um it would be a cheat to say everything but <laughs> but um particularly the stuff that i love is just just the creativity of, of it all i love i love how um I, I love how even though this is um, Glenn Keane's directorial debut, and also it's the debut of John Cars, who directed Disney's uh, Paperman. That's that's really important because uh, because even even though this movie was um, pr- like primarily CG animated, it still has a lot of it has a lot of um, 2D anima- animation in like in the story in the beginning with Chang A and um, her like her love interest uh, Hoi. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It has a it has a great a great like opening animated sequence with these two uh, lost lovers. Um, but also the wor- like the world they create it it feels it feels like these characters who are also designed by Keen. Um, like these characters in this world, it, it has like a very 2D energy, even though it's all in CG. Right. And the cult, like the colors, like these oh, like- man. When they yeah. get to the moon, it is such, it, well, I guess to, to quote something, that's pretty. <laughs> I said that a lot while I was watching this. Well, when you get to that sequence, when she sees the city on the moon- it's like, wow, look at the vibrant colors. <laughs> like by, by, look- by the way, this is the second time since like DuckTales that that the moon has been more than just a moon. <laughs> like like they, they even they even call it their their utopia um like lunaria. Yeah. Which, which is so close to lunaris. <laughs> it's a little on nose. Um and but yeah but overall like apparently the production companies were like netflix pearl studios who did uh 2019's abominable for dreamworks and yeah, uh, the, the, the comparison is um pretty spot on yeah the, i i like the human designs and uh also sony pictures image works helped out a little bit as well i'm not entirely sure where exactly but i they they probably threw threw some more cash at the at the moon <laughs> probably because man those design th- those designs are great i love the little moon cake uh individuals that help out uh shangi and like 
if you weren't disappointed by Mulan 2020, uh, Over the Moon is as drenched in Chinese culture. Like, oh, yeah. It it's really great. It's give it gives the film its distinct look and personality and identity. Um, I want to say this, and this isn't like to call out any of the negative reviews. I like the writing in this movie. Not all of it. I th- there are some clunky elements, and not all the jokes work. But I think the script is a lot smarter than I think people give it credit for, because I think that because and this is why I think. Glenn Keane's touches were still entangled, uh, even though he wasn't like the director of it after his uh, health incident. Because a lot of what the characters say or do, I think have layers to them. For example, the grandfather, even though it's like he obviously has an obsession with hairy crabs. And by the way, the food looks great in this movie. <laughs> it always does. Uh, it, man animated food stop looking better <laughs> um but he'll talk but a lot of a few of his hairy crab facts like um when he said when uh early on in the movie when he's talking about like uh it's like hairy crabs are territorial creatures and feel defensive when something's in their well territory it links to how fei fei is feeling because she's she feels like this woman who her father is falling in love with um, is entering her territory. And I like, do you know what I mean? Like by, as I explain this, because I, I want to make sure this is like, I'm being clear. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 I understood what you're saying. Cause when, once, once um, the grandpa says that it like pretty much the next thing we see is, is Fei Fei, Acting, acting, kind of hostile towards what w- what would be her um, her stepmother. Yeah, and um, and then um, and we'll talk about uh, Chin, uh, her step uh, stepbrother, uh, a little more because uh, he and uh, Gobi have are like a little more of the uh, contingents uh, issues or polarizing issues with the film because you either love them or hate them. I know Chin. Well, first of all, I think Chin has some pretty good lines, like when he tells uh, Fei Fei, "Like I have a superpower. Can you guess it?" And she's like, "You're really annoying." And he's like, instead of being hurt by it, he's like, oh, "Now I have two superpowers." <laughs> or like uh, when he says, "Like I took fourth place in the ping pong tournament. It should have been third. <laughs> like it's, it, he didn't. He doesn't instantly say, like number one." He does. He's humble about it. <laughs> I, I that's that's a that's a small detail that that kind of redeems this character. Um, I mean, I know he's like the annoying little brother, and I would say that, like, yeah, he's the annoying brother. And I do, and one of my small criticisms with the film does include him. But I want to talk about his uh, his supposed superpower of uh, being able to go through walls. They, I think they pay, they pay that off perfectly and not not just not just once but twice yes but i want to talk about the more like symbolicness of it and i think he does say this in the uh in the movie i think during the big uh ping pong sequence uh like you yes you can take it literally that he's like no barriers but i think there's more like of a symbolic element to that 
notion because he's like there are going to be no barriers between us not figurative not literal barriers and of course the the the, at the end it pays off in a pretty great sequence and probably one of the more touching sequences um but i mean but that's what i that's what i mean by i think this script is a little smarter than whatever than like i think some people are saying you know yeah i i hear you um some something like to to that point something else i really like is other, other than the biker chicks which um i think is a, i think is a funny visual gag oh biker chicks only <laughs> um other, other than the biker chicks this movie doesn't have a villain like it like the the antagonist of the film is sadness despair loneliness it, it, like it's dealing the, with grief and yeah it, it's very much in the in the vein of like uh like if you've seen a monster calls or a song of the sea it's a character g- getting over uh grief of like losing a loved one and what and some and so on and her and fei fei's story arc is mirrored with uh shang uh, yi who if you i mean this was probably intentional but read that name shang yi take out the little apostrophe change change, change. yep that I that, love, ha- that had to have been intentional yes i, I because um and it, it it also goes into like the little visual details like uh fei fei's hair like when she's young and happy it's straight and beautiful and then of course they, they show at the end her hair is chaotic and unsettled and it's it matches her current mood and i i think that's such a smart little detail and i think only glenn keen and the uh the other co-director could have pointed that out and i also think it's a it's part of the writing from uh i mean she's no longer with us audrey wells um who wrote the script for uh the hate you give um I, it's just like, I, I just love the little details in the movie and the story. And it, yes, it has its little Disney-ish elements because, you know, it's Glenn Keane that's go- and John Cars. That's going to happen. And it's a musical. And it's a musical. But I think there's more nuance than what you assume. And I think the movie kind of got mismarketed. Well, it's Netflix, so that shouldn't yeah. be a surprise. Because they make it look goofier and a little more... Uh, crowd pleasing than what it is it, it reminds me of this situation with smallfoot and abominable where they're they're actually much deeper movies than what they were advertised and i think and, and i kind of noticed that and I, so i wasn't really taken back by the marketing and what we actually what we saw in the final product and no i think it i think it handles its themes of grief dealing with grief and sadness and death because like even like I guess spoilers, when they find the gift and Zhang Yi gets it and f- is able to meet her long lost love, it's only temporary, because it's like there's nothing that she can do to change the past. And you know, from uh, Disney's Lion King, you know the past can hurt, but you either run away from it or you or learn it. from it. Yeah, yeah, or you learn from it and. I, I like man i i really like this movie uh do you have any other like praises for 
um, uh, go, going further into what I said about this being a musical, um, the songs are great. Um, the songs are really great. The, uh, um, the songs are written by Helen Park, uh, Christopher Curtis, and Marjorie Hutfield. Um, and Hel Helen Park has, um, you know, she, she's, she's an award-winning uh, uh, lyricist for a musical called K-pop. Yeah. Um, and K-pop has one, one of the stars of Over the Moon, Kathy Ang. She, vo she voices um, Fei Fei. And obviously she's great. She's great in that role. Right. But, but if you're a Hamilton fan, um, Shang A is, is voiced by, um, by Philippa Sue, uh, who, who played uh, Eliza Hamilton. And she, and she has probably one of my favorite, one of my favorite musical numbers, two of them actually. One is like this like big elaborate pop number called Ultra Luminary. Um, and then the other, the other one is tor towards the end uh, called Love Someone New. Yeah. Well, she has like three uh, songs. Uh, she has that one and then Hey Boy. Yep. And I, that's why I like the music too. I think there's not like one of the big problems with having like a Disney style musical aspect to your film. You have to be careful what songs you choose to use and, and or cut because like as much as I like the first Frozen, the, what, the song with the rock trolls is the worst song of the bunch. And or... uh Oh, what was it? Um, or like in Hunchback of Notre Dame, the big cheer up song. Oh, for, uh, a, Quasimodo. A, guy, a guy like you. Yeah. It's like you, you have to be careful where you place these songs. And, but luckily I didn't run into that. I think this was like a Frozen 2 situation where you can debate it if you like the music in that movie more than the first, but there's no filler song. Even, even, even Hey Boy. It, it it comes off like a filler a filler song, but it's it's the it's um it's Chin's time to shine, and he does shine in that scene. Yeah, so um, I guess let's talk a little bit about the the I guess polarizing aspects of the film. They come with they they come in the form of Chin, the stepbrother, and Gobi, the pangolin, um. Well, first off, I want to say this is a great cast. I love uh, Kathy Yang, uh, Robert G. Chu, uh, Chu uh, Philip. Uh, how do you say your name? Philippa Sue. Yep. Um, Ken Jong, John Cho, uh, Ruthie Ann Miles, uh, Sandra Oh, who well, she's always great. Not the meatiest role of the bunch, but uh, but she's great. Uh, Kimiko Glenn as uh, Auntie May, the one in the red shirt. And then and, Margaret, uh, yeah, Margaret Cho as was, Auntie Ling. By the way, I loved the, the interaction when they're talking about the whole Zhang Yi uh, legend, where it's like she supposedly took both the the immortality pills, and then um, I guess like Art Butler plays uh, Auntie Ling's husband, 
It's like, and now she's stuck up there with a rabbit and, and Ling like pulls a crab in half. And it's like, good choice. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, I, I mean, I know there's like the, the trope of like the bitter couple and whatnot, but I thought that was a pretty funny, well-executed gag. But uh, yeah, let's talk about Chin. Do you, like, a lot of people seem to have an issue with Chin being there. He's he's kind of obnoxious. And then I for one of my things, issues with the film, I kind of wish there was at least one more scene of her, of him and Fei-Fei bonding because he kind of gets thrown, at, like, they get separated for a majority of the middle part. I, yeah, I, I can see that. I, um, the, only, the only problem is, if if you do that, you if you do that, you kind of have you kind of have to sacrifice the uh, the ping pong scene. But I I I understand your point um, that we should we should have had a little bit more time for Fei Fei and Chin to bond. Yeah, I mean, like I I think the the final scene when they're in that like void of darkness uh, was great, and and Chin is like the best part of that sequence. Well, one of the best parts of that sequence and uh but i i wish it was like a little more because then it's like when uh feifei gets back with uh gobi with the with the uh gift uh it's like oh oh hey there's no yeah we're all good now let's get let's get this going and like i guess there's like i wish there was a like a little more there so it's not just kind of brushed aside that well here well here's here's a counterpoint um um, the re- the reason why I think I'm o- I'm okay with um, how much how much time Chin Chin got or Chin and Fei Fei got was what one one of the most important parts of of Gobi and Fei Fei's um, interaction is um, you know Fei 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 thinks that she hates her new stepbrother but then. Go, Gobi is like asking all these questions about like where where'd you get the idea for leapfrog and um and who taught who taught you to um, hang upside down to avoid to avoid the biker chicks and as as Fei Fei keeps explaining um like where those ideas come from she starts to realize hmm maybe I don't hate Chin as as much as I think I do. Yeah, no, that that's the thing. That's the thing. I think people can't get over the fact that he's acting like heaven forbid a little brother. <laughs> I, I like, mean, like I I get it. When when we first meet him, yeah, he is annoying, but he's a, he's annoying in the same way that that Olaf is annoying, but like um but both of them both of them are supported by really like really funny and well-written dialogue yeah yeah and um no i so it's like i don't think i don't have that big of an issue with chin um so like i disagree with him being one of the weaker parts um but now i i guess let's talk about it because it seems like this guy constantly gets dunked on anytime he shows up because of his typecasted style of comedy uh ken jong is gobi now i i wish or do you how about you you go first i look i get it i get that um ken ken jong does have a tendency to be typecast but 
here's where I'll stick up. Here's where I'll stick up for him. Um, one, one, he is in, he is, he is one of, of many um, Asian actors in a, in a predominantly Asian, Asian cast, um, Asian ensemble film. So he belongs here, no matter what, no matter what you think of him. And two, he's great. His like, um, he's not he's not too over the top. He he's actually this is actually one of his more reserved roles. I agree. I th- I don't think he's as annoying as people make him out to be. And I get it when when you see him in films like the Hangover films and Transformers three. Um. But I've liked both of his animated roles this year because, you know, he's also Dynamut and Scoob. And he was pretty much one of the best parts of that movie. Yeah. And I think, I wish there was a little more substantial purpose. I'm not going to, Gobi is not pointless. I'm not going to say that. that that's, that's a thing that I think too many animation fans are kind of saying it's like you could just take him out and whatnot and he'd be like and the movie wouldn't change no 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 he is (laughs) he is like crucial oh very he's he he is the one who pretty like he he's the one who kind of helps save the day yes and i liked his song sequence um what is it called uh wonderful and give I give Ken Jong credit. He actually sang the song. He didn't. They didn't like get a sound a singer sound alike for him. And I thought it was pretty great. And yes, Gobi could be a little annoying at points, but he. And while I do wish there was a little more of a substantial payoff for his character, um, I liked his character, and I liked. Like you said, you defend you defended him earlier with him being like uh, he helped make Fei Fei realize that she doesn't really hate her stepbrother, and uh, I don't know. I mean, like what? What do you like? What What do you like about Gobi? Um, I I like I like his optimism. I like <laughs> I I kind I kind of like um how he's ri- he's written to be annoying, you know um. He's he's kind of he's kind of neurotic. He like he talk he talks he talks ner- nervously, um, but he has a good heart. He want he wants to help um, Fei Fei. Like he, he his char- his character has basically the same like the same arc as as Fei Fei and Shang A. Like like all 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 three of them are feel are feeling lonely but for but for different reasons right and i fell for him like he uh, like for his song sequence where he sings a uh, wonderful i liked that sequence and i liked the lyrics because it is just like you i know it the past is sad but you got to keep moving and you know that's the one thing that's the whole motto of that one film uh meet the robinsons yes you felt you you ran into something bad that sucks but keep moving and like i i like i i guess there's i like i said i wish there was a bit more of a payoff at the end because then he's just kind of left there um on the moon uh not that i wanted him to come down to earth or anything just uh 
I, I wish there was like a little more of a reward for him because he's kind of introduced not late into the movie, but kind of like a little bit after the halfway point. Though I, I will say he's a lot more substantial than uh, that robot from Treasure Planet. Oh. <laughs> yeah, like, like, I mean, that's kind of what I was comparing him to. I, because... I, I was kind of comparing him to Bing Bong from Inside Out. Like, he he play he plays a critical role and help and like he plays a critical role in getting getting our characters to a to a certain spot in the in the narrative um and he like he doesn't overstay his welcome he's he's in there just just enough um to get the characters where they need to be but right. i but i i will agree i think i think um I think there could have been a little bit more of a payoff. Like um, when, when we meet him, he was exiled for a thousand years. I, th- I think what they could have done is they could have like reinstated his position in like the palace or I don't know, give, given it, given him like a more tangible reward. Yeah. I mean, that's really my only issue with him. And I don't care if people saw it, thought it was a dumb joke. I love Ken John's delivery when he's like, you get to keep that and I'll keep these sweet moon pants. And, uh, or like when he's like saying, please, but he like, he's like, please. And then it like cuts to like time later. Ease. And it's like, okay, stop. Oh, but one more thing. Yes. He's okay. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think he's a lot of, I like Ken Jong. I think he's a lot funnier than people give him credit for. And even though I wasn't like a, the biggest fan of community, he's been the, anytime I saw him on that show, I thought he was pretty great. So, um, but yeah. Um, do you have any other major parts you want to talk about? Um, I think, I think I've covered pretty much everything. Um, if I, if there, if there is anything I missed, um, I'm, I'm sure people bring it up in the comments, but for now, I, I just, I just love everything about this movie. Um, everything from, from the, like the opening to the ending, all the, all the songs are terrific. Um, the set, like the soundtrack is, is available um, on YouTube, definitely. And Spotify probably as well. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, like I said, this is I love this movie, and like I said, I it's not like I don't disagree or hate the negative rev- reviews I've seen. I understand why some people might not be on board with it. I know, uh, like I talked to someone and they said the um, their the middle section was their least favorite part. Um, but like I, but I don't agree with some of the more toxic comments saying it got worse. The movie got worse when it got to the moon. What? Uh, I absolutely disagree with that. I disagree with that too. And just the, the bit, like I have the art book on pre-order. So, cause I'm not missing out on getting an art book for a Netflix film like I did with Klaus. And that now that book's like a hundred million dollars to get. And, but no, it, it might not be my like number one, but it's in my top five. And even if like all of it, all of you know this year didn't happen it'd still probably be in the top five yeah same if like if if i was lucky enough to see this in theaters 
I, my, my opinion on this would not change. Yeah, no. And I know some people did and it's just, I'm just not going to go to a theater to see it. And if you feel safe enough to, to have seen it beforehand, then cool. You know, you do you, but yeah, no, I highly recommend people go see over the moon. And it just makes me like excited to see what else Glenn Keane has going. Oh yeah. I know he's not getting any younger, but like creatively, I think, I think there's so much more that he has to tell. Yes. I, I want to see as many stories as he wants to put out and before he officially like calls it quits because he's obviously a guy who has many thing many stories to tell and it's also number one on netflix right now or last time i checked so that's, is, it, is it really that's that's awesome yeah it's at, or at least in the top five uh on netflix and man I, I can't wait i can't wait for netflix to talk about this movie uh movie's numbers um but yeah, no, I, I love this movie. Yeah, so if, if it wasn't obvious, uh, we highly recommend this. And speaking of recommendations, Cameron, do you have, do you have any, uh, any to share? Uh, yeah, so, you know, next week we'll be talking about the big fall anime 2020 impressions. And I know I, I'll talk more in detail about some of these recommendations but I only have one because I want to keep it to the spooky stuff because by the next time we talk, it'll be November 1st. Um, I want to recommend a goofier, uh, monstery comedy called sleepy princess in the demon castle. This is one of the best anime of the season so far. And it's streaming on Funimation. It basically takes the concept of the whole, like, Oh, the princess has been kidnapped and is in the demon lord's castle and flips it by really like the princess is like well it's going to take a while before the print the, the hero comes and gets me they're feeding me three square meals they're not going to hurt me so i'm going to be fine but my bed sucks <laughs> and it, it's basically her adventure through the demon cat cat lord uh castle and trying to make get a better bed get better sleep and like for example there's this one of the first uh, one of the funniest gags of the first episode is when she's trying to find a better bed frame and she ends up like getting encountering a slime and both her and the slime fall into the into a pit of lava but of course there's a church in this demon lord cat uh demon lord's fortress and she realizes that she likes the coffins, like the shape of them and the cushions in them. Oh, I, I think I think I know where this joke is going. <laughs> and she encounters uh, the uh, the priest, uh, this uh, human-looking demon with these horns, and <laughs> he she grabs the priest and starts using his horns to sand down the coffin, and. Then she takes the slime and uses it and basically says like now like that we sanded down the edges now we got to wax them so she uses the slime to wax the uh, the coffin and then find you find out like in like one of the like like either second or third episode she has like four or five coffins oh in, boy in, in her but uh but it, it's so fun it's probably the funniest anime of the season like like from from top to bottom one of the best and probably the funniest 
probably the funniest anime of this year um like intentional i mean like even like even like intentional comedies and whatnot and i can't wait uh for you to see that to see that one and for and i i just hope more people are watching it do not do not sleep on sleepy princess in the demon castle i i can't wait to check that one out uh for my recommendation i i have no choice but to plug my buddy uh, PJ Campbell, um, his next uh, animated watch along is going to be uh, Tim Burton's Frankenweenie. Oh, the the stop motion film from twenty twelve. Yep. Um, oh, that that's a good one. I like that movie. Also, um, but like before that, we're also watching the um, the live action short from the eighties. So, yeah. it's it it's a full it's a full uh, Tim Burton appreciation night. Well, awesome. That sounds fun. That I like that movie. I thought a lot of people slept on that one, but that's yeah, just a, me. Like a lot of people slept on it, but I also don't blame them because this came out the same year as Paranorman, as um, Wreck It Ralph, and uh, yeah, a few others like Chico and Rita came out. And that's a great movie from G Kids, and also Hotel Transylvania. So, like fall twenty twelve was a busy time. And I'm sure Tim Burton's reputation is kind of not taking a nosedive, but people have not been fond of his 2010 output. So yeah, I can, I can kind of understand like, because this was like, I think right after the Alice in Wonderland film that he did for Disney. It, it, was, it was like, it was like two years, two years after. Yeah. So I can understand people being like, ah, oh, I, I, no, I don't want to go see this because it's Timber, it's current time Tim Burton, not Beetlejuice, Big Fish era Tim Burton. So yeah. And, bef- and before Frank and me, the, the last great um, Tim Burton movie that we got was 2007's Sweeney Todd. Yeah. That's a, that's a spooky movie. I, I mean, if you're up for some gore, uh, because there's a lot of throat slashing in that one. Uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, not really for kids. <laughs> of course um, not. But no, that sounds fun. I I hope the watch along goes well. Oh yeah, I'm I'm really excited for that one. Well, that'll that'll conclude this episode of Tuned Up. Uh, this this was fun. It was it was less bogged down by news and more and and more fulfilling in these uh, discussions. Yeah, no, I agree. I thought this was a good episode. Next week, we dive headfirst into the fall 2020 anime season. Yeah, that's going to be exciting. I can't wait to hear the uh, the rest of your thoughts about some of the anime titles. Um, I've been watching all of them. Uh, Mike, I know your plan is to just watch the, the ones I highly recommended from, yeah, uh, from the bunch. bunch I, but it, yeah, I'm going to watch as much as, as much as I can because... I want to make I want to make sure I I have seen at least at least the best, some of the worst, and a few and a few random ones. Yeah, no, uh, we'll set that up throughout this entire week. So, um, but yeah, no, I can't wait. I this this was kind of my idea because I liked the idea of like let because we we mostly talk about anime seasons when they end or when they are released on Netflix, where you know we get them all at once. And I thought it would be kind of fun to do an impressions of like the first three episodes of certain shows. 
I've been going hardcore and watching more than three, though I did drop out of one, and we'll talk about that uh, next week. Yeah, so look look out for that one. But before we head out of here, Cameron, where can everyone find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Cam's Eye View. I run a website called camseyeview.biz where I review animated films called The Other Side of Animation. I'm about to post my review of uh, this the Lupin the Third special, Fujiko Mine's Lie, which is the last special uh, from the a woman called Fujiko Mine miniseries. And uh, I also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash view. And you can find me on the Renegade Pop Culture Facebook group. I'll post some animation updates and such on what we're going to be tackling. And, um, and you can find me in some of the other uh, film-centric Facebook groups. Awesome. And you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at CaptainK42. Check out my quick thought reviews on letterbox.com slash CoachK42. Find me in all the various Facebook groups just at my name. Check out Renegade Pop Culture on Facebook and Twitter at Ren Pop Culture. You can check out all our uh, podcasts on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Last but not least, check out renegadepopculture.com. Need to escape? So do we. That'll do it for this episode of Tuned Up. We will catch you later. Peace out. Bye. <laughs>